such things are wrong. Um, and we should also, as Christians, use our minds and our intellect uh, to the glory of God. There's often this kind of different view in the world today that, that Christianity is all about the heart and that we just leave our minds at the door when we walk into church and come in here and we just feel everything. No, 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 no. Um, we're called to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind, right? So we have to be intellectually wise. We have to know things. Uh, and we have to be able to use our brains to glorify God just like we use our, our hearts and souls and our actions and our bodies. And then finally, Christians throughout history have used apologetics uh, to not only glorify God, but to evangelize, to preach the gospel, to reach out to people um, across the world and help them, uh, help them come to know God. But, and here's the key but, this is the, the ultimate thing that we have to remember, we can't reason anyone into salvation. You can't, there's no amount of, of you, great perf- perfect rationality and logicalness that's going to ever convince someone to believe in Christ. You can maybe convince them to admit that there's a God. You can maybe convince them to admit that there's this guy named Jesus who died and rose again even. But simply admitting that that is a historical fact um, does not equal a belief in Christ as their Savior and Lord. Okay, so that is up to the Holy Spirit's moving, and we, we can't do it. So you have to approach apologetics understanding that you're limited in your abilities, but you're still called to give a, a solid defense of the faith. Um, one thing here are two things that apologetics need to do. Christian apologetics should answer non-Christians' questions um, and then remove distractions from belief. So in other words, we get rid of the stuff that hampers people down. But what about this? But what about this? But what about this? Those are the things we're called to do, is answer those objections. What about the inconsistencies in Scripture? What about the problems with um, the whole idea of someone coming back to life? What about, oh, it doesn't it look a whole lot like the myths of ancient Greece? We should be able to get rid of those problems, those hindrances to belief. Okay? And secondly, coupled with evangelism, apologetics should point non-Christians to faith in Christ. It can't get them there. It's just like that old thing, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? Okay, we can point them, and that's, that's all we can do. We have to keep pointing to Christ, um, and God will bow their head down into the water when he's ready for them to drink. All right, so uh, here's Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of salvation for all who believe. God saved people through his gospel, and we are the ambassadors of that gospel. So that's just a recap of session one. We talked about why apologetics is important. Any questions, comments, thoughts about apologetics uh, and its importance in our life? This is where you say, yeah, uh, what about? I'm here to moderate. That's all I'm doing. If you guys don't speak, we're going to be done in like 15 minutes. Just letting you know. Okay, maybe this one wasn't the one you had trouble with. Maybe we'll get to that one in just a second. Has the world gotten better or worse? Um, well, that's, that's very much one of those, you know, if I was a post-millennialist, I'd say, better. Uh, look at China. Look at the spread of the gospel in China and uh, in third world countries. Um, if you look at America, I would say America has gotten worse. Um, it's, I think a lot of times Americans are very close, 
closed in on what's happening here, and we don't, we don't often think about uh, how the gospel's spreading in other places or that sort of thing. Um, I th- the beginning of that question about the college and the university system, yes, uh, for the most part, academia in America um, is hostile to God. Um, I don't really know where that comes from. I guess people think it's a sort of hubris, I suppose, where people are so smart that they think that they know better than to need a God, right? Um, And part of what we need to do as Christians um, is keep putting out the idea that we're all broken sinners. We're all fallen. We all need grace. Um, And no one is above needing that grace simply because they have four or five PhDs. It's not, a, it's not enough to get you into heaven, um, and that's not enough to save your eternal soul. Um, it may make you look real good here on earth, um, but it's not enough. So, is that... Oh, okay, go ahead. No, what is that? I think if... Um, if if the, all of the people in America who claimed Christianity... I think that if they had a solid understanding of why they actually believe what they believe, if they really knew what they believed uh, and were able to defend it, um, I think that in a lot of cases, for one, the view of Christianity in this country would probably be vastly different um, because we wouldn't be just a bunch of science-denying wackos. Um, we, we would be thought of as a rational um, group of people who just happen to hold to this world religion. Um, although that's not to say that there would still not be people who hate us, because I mean we're told we're told that we're going to be hated. Any, anything else about use use of apologetics? Right, and that, that's, yeah, that's a huge, uh, the main philosophy that Christianity has to kind of deal with is the philosophy of, of relativism, of whatever's okay for me, whatever feels right for me is what's right for me, and whatever feels right for you is right for you. So you need, in order for you to love me, you have to just simply accept everything about me, no matter what it might be. Um, and that's what love looks like. But scripturally, and if we're approaching this uh, biblically, as we should, um, Scripture is very clear that true love is pointing others to the source of love, right? Um, and to do that, we have to say, hey, no, um, this thing right here is a sin, and that separates you from God the Father and His holiness. And apart from Christ, there's no way to get back to Him. So it's, it's not a matter of, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. It's a matter of, I love you, please. I don't want you to perish, Isn't that what true love should be looking like? Um, So, yes, we need to redefine. We need to take back the definition of love uh, from our unbelieving world. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. Come on, Tucker. He's going to use the microphone. I guess this is just a question for the church um, and what your experience is. But a lot of times, you know, uh, at work I deal, you know, I'm around a lot of unbelievers and uh, what the most effective way y'all found to maybe, you know, approach them about Christ uh, 
I do try to, you know, mention my faith to, to my coworkers, but as far as maybe sharing the gospel with a coworker or, or in whatever situation, what the most effective way to uh, incorporate, you know, my faith and, and the sharing the gospel uh, in a conversation with, a, with an unbeliever. And um, so I just, if anyone, you know, has a, a way, you know, that they found most effective or to approach someone, because uh, I don't really know, I just kind of, you know, improvise and just kind of, you know, share my faith. And But is there anyone that, you know, has found something that, that works pretty well and not something that's like I'm trying to force feed or anything down their throat or anything like that? Yeah, I think uh, I think a huge uh, a huge thing that's often neglected in modern evangelism is relationships, um, because I mean, and it's great we're called to go and, and preach the word, um, and so you have the, the people who go out on the streets and handing out tracts and talking to people, um, and that 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 is absolutely valid. We should be doing those things and uh, planting seeds, as Paul says, um, but relationships are the way to to truly see growth to truly see conversions happen because apart from them seeing how your life is different from theirs what reason do they have i mean you can point them to the bible they can go read it all day long um but seeing a changed life uh seeing you know a different way of living uh is far more effective than a piece of paper that tells people the plan of salvation does that make sense Anything else on that?
All right. Well, let's uh, we'll move on to the next point and, uh, and see where we go from there. Uh, our next session was about uh, the existence of God. Um, so you may hear the question, how do you know that God exists? Um, and I think one of the funnest ways to answer that question is, um, well, how do you know that God doesn't exist? Okay. The whole, <laughs> the whole question is, is, uh, is a trap. It's set up to not be, uh, not be an honest question. Um, but as we discussed, um, there are a number of powerful arguments, uh, which when we use them, they can't prove the existence of God. Because um, in order to prove something, uh, if we could, everyone would believe, right? Well, probably not. But there would still be people who said it was wrong, even if we proved it. Um, but they, these arguments can help point to the existence of God as a more reasonable um, alternative to there not being a God. Um, and here are kind of the six arguments that we went through. We went to the argument of probability, um, and that focused on the idea that every day we exercise faith um, in something, whether it be our own rationality, uh, whether it be the laws of logic, whether it be natural laws that are going to continue making science work the way it does. Um, we have faith. We have to approach life um, with presuppositions, things that we already believe in before we can go anywhere else. Uh, and it's perfectly reasonable for that faith to be placed in something that is supernatural rather than in something that is natural, our own brains. The second one we talked about was creation and design. And this is one of the biggest ones that everybody points to, you know, the whole argument, intelligent design versus evolution. Um, And obviously, you know, I could point you to thousands of resources that would help you know that creation uh, by intelligent design, by a a god, a sovereign god, is far more plausible than creation uh, through random chance. Um, Within that, we saw the teleological and the cosmological arguments. Those two terms, I'll throw them at you. If you want to talk more about them, that's great. We can do that. Um, Third one was the anthropic arguments, and those are ones that deal with us as people. Uh, Things about ourselves like conscience, our sense of morality, our capacity for good and evil, um, this yearning for more. We always feel like there's something more out there. We yearn for eternity. Uh, We love religious experiences. All the way across the world, people always worship something. Um, And all of this is best explained by the existence of a God who wants to be worshipped, right? Um, The fourth one was the argument from immaterialism, and that is there is stuff that exists like love and beauty, um, and these things demonstrate that not all that is is materialistic. There's more out there than just what we can touch and see. Um, We have an understanding that there's this thing called love that we feel for other people. We have an understanding that there's this thing called beauty, uh, that when we look at a a nice sculpture or or a Piece of, listen to a piece of music, uh, it's beautiful to us. How can you explain that through a naturalistic worldview? Why would evolution give us that ability? It, it's illogical. Um, then there's the argument from transcendental uh, argument. Um, and this is all about uh, the idea that we can think logically, um, that we can have knowledge. If we can have knowledge, if we can think using logic, um, if we can do science, then there must be someone, some way, uh, some existence that is a precondition for that knowledge. Where does knowledge come from? It has to be, it has to have a source, right? Um, the laws of logic just exist. We didn't come up with them. Um, it wasn't like somebody sitting there and you know, like, I think that we need to make it where uh, two things cannot be true and uh, our statement cannot be true and false at the same time. I think that'd be a good plan. We'll call it the law of non-contradiction. Well, no, it's logical. It, it makes sense. No, yeah, I can't be dead and alive at the same time, right? 
So those laws of logic are transcendental. We just understand them. We just get it. It just makes sense, and it has to come from somewhere. And then the sixth one, the one that everybody goes, huh, was the ontological argument. Um, since uh, God is the being greater than which no being can be conceived, uh, and since the greatest being possible possesses the attribute of existence, God must exist. Again, that's really kind of hard to <laughs> get your head around. Uh, but uh, it's a very philosophical approach to it. So those are, those are where we went with that one. Any questions about the existence of God, how to talk about it? Any questions about those approaches and using them? No? I went through them purposely really fast, so I'd have to clarify something or something. <laughs> the ontological. Okay, yeah, okay. Let me clarify the ontological again. Okay, basically, um, this, is, this is an old, old philosophical argument. Um, it says, think of the greatest thing that you can think of. And if you imagine that thing, that thing must exist. Because if it doesn't exist, then something greater than it does exist. Because existence is greater than non-existence. So if we imagine the greatest possible being that could possibly exist, he must exist, otherwise something greater than him would exist. Does that make sense? <laughs> uh, all you have to do is Google ontological argument and you can find page after page of people trying to explain it. Uh, they've been trying for about 500 years, so, <laughs> you know, good luck. Okay, is that it? Anything else on this one? Through, through, yeah, no, throughout history, uh, it, it is funny how, because usually the response is either, that is the most profound philosophical argument for the existence of God I've ever heard, or, what? Um, and so it's usually, you know, it's like, okay, if you use that one, and they do the what, that's not what you need to go for. Let's take a different approach. Obviously, ontological is not where they need to be. Okay, let's move on then. Um, our next session was about... Um, the problem of evil, as we often call it. Um, basically, if there is evil, can God possibly be good and all-powerful? Um, evil's real. God is all good. God is all-powerful. This seems like a contradiction. How do we deal with it? Um, and there's been, you know, hundreds of different approaches to this, hundred different ways of thinking about it. Um, people have said really crazy things trying to account for this. Um, ultimately, though, as Christians, we have assurance of this. Um, God's going to end suffering and pain someday for his people. Um, God will execute justice on those who have committed evil acts and who are not in Christ. Um, God himself, incarnate in Christ, experienced the worst of human evil uh, on the cross. And God, God's ways are above ours. Um, he's outside of time. He's outside of our existence. He's outside of our understanding in a lot of ways. Um, so while we can have ideas and we can talk about him, um, he's outside of what we can understand. And so there's kind of four E's that come along with this. God will end suffering. End, there's the first E. God will execute his justice, execute. Uh, God has experienced evil on the cross, experience. And then uh, God is eternal. Uh, he exists outside of of time and the restraints of the evil that we know. Um, so questions about this? Any, any 
times that you've had someone ask you about this and uh, how have you answered it? What have your any of you struggled with this before? This is probably, I mean, for a lot of, especially people around here who are here, who hear about God a lot, who, who have this, you know, they know Christians, uh, they may go to church even. This is probably one of the biggest issues that people have with Christianity is the existence of evil. How does that work um, out? Um, well, one of the things, and uh, St. Augustine was the first one to kind of write this down. Um, you can find it of several different things. R.C. Sproul has written, um, I think in, I can't remember which book it is, Chosen maybe, some, one of those books. Um, he lays out the, the stages of man's ability. And so we started out, uh, in the garden when we were first created, we had the ability to sin and the ability to not sin. Okay, so we're, we're, we had full ability. We were made, we were created perfect. Adam and Eve were created perfect, um, like the angels, in a sense. Um, they had the ability to sin. Once they fell, they no longer had the ability, how do I say this? Had the ability to not sin. They had the ability to sin, but did not have the ability to not sin. In themselves. Once regeneration happens, once salvation occurs, a person once again has the ability to sin and to not sin. And in glory, once we make it, once we're given new heaven, new earth, and new bodies, um, we will not be able to sin. We will only be able to not sin. And again, me saying it is not very clear. It's a lot easier if you can look at it like kind of graphed out for you on a, on a piece of paper. I can, let me find out about the book and I'll tell you about it, make sure. Yeah. Right, so, how can there be love if there's not the ability to not love? Right. You know what I'm saying? So, how can God create uh, a being that will choose to love him if they can't choose not to love him? Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's one of, I think that's one of the strongest arguments. Uh, when we discuss this, and I think Andrew brought it out when he when he taught this uh, lesson, um, we we people throw at us the problem of evil, but really the problem for the atheist or for the unbeliever is the problem of good, um, because they can't account for morality. They can't account for what is evil, what is good, apart from some ultimate judge who's decided what those things are. So they can say, well, yeah, killing people is not a good thing to do, but why? Why is that bad? And so, yeah, we have to have some. Um, 
objective morality. You have to have some source of your understanding of what is good and evil to say, hey, you Christian, you have a problem because you're, there's evil in this world. Yeah. So then sin evil is you choose not to love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You commit sin is you choose not to follow and obey God. And, and it's really it's not sin there, it's just the message is that it's just teaching to lie. To abide in Christ. And if you can abide in Christ and, and let Christ back. <laughs> right well and i've heard people talk about um you can't have darkness apart from there being light you can't have cold apart from there being heat and so these things exist and it's simply the absence of them that is these others and so in the same way the absence of goodness uh, is evil and so apart from the goodness of god apart from the only source of true goodness um we can't do anything good all we would be left to do is evil all the time, uh, which can only have any meaning if you understand what goodness is. Anything else on the problem of evil? Okay, well, we'll move on. Uh, our next session was about um, the reliability of Scripture. Um, so you may hear the question, oh, why do you believe this ancient book is the Word of God? Why do you believe it's true? Um, we as Christians, we claim that the Bible is God's revelation to us um, over a span of close to 2,000 years. 66 books in our Scripture written by 40 different guys why do we believe that that's the Word of God? Um, and I shared with you whenever I, we went through this session, um, there's this incredibly great, uh, you can find it on sermonaudio.com. Uh, it's a really awesome resource if you want to go check it out. Uh, Vody Bauckham has this, and it's only about 30 minutes. It's a pretty short, for him, a pretty short talk. Um, but it, 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 I think it's titled, uh, Why I Believe the Bible. Um, and he, he says it this way. This is why he believes the Bible is true. The Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim to be divine rather than human in origin. So, uh, there you go. That's why we believe the Bible. Uh, there's a number of pieces to this. We can look at it and say the New Testament documents are historically reliable and credible if we compare them to uh, what we know of history, what we have recorded in history. Um, it makes sense. It lines up. There isn't discrepancies there. Um, we talked about also how um, we have older uh, living documents, manuscripts of the New Testament than we do of any other um, ancient work, work of antiquity. Uh, for instance, Homer's uh, Iliad, we have, he was writing around 900 B.C., 
uh, the earliest copy we have access to, 100 AD, roughly, uh, not very early. Uh, In fact, it's a reference to it that we have from that early. Uh, The earliest one we can actually put our hands on and look at was from somewhere around 400 AD. Um, So we don't really know. On the other hand, we have the New Testament, which uh, was written, you know, between 40 and 100 AD. Earliest copy we have is from 125 AD. That's only, that's less than 30 years separation from, from when it was written to when we have accessible things that we can hold in our hand. Well, we can't, but people can hold them in their hands and look at them. Um, and how many copies of it do we have? Estimates range from 10,000, 1,600, uh, all kinds of numbers that people throw out there as being uh, manuscripts that we have, but way more than any other work of antiquity. Um, and you can go back and listen to our talk on that one if you want to hear those numbers. Um, again, that's just backs up how, uh, how reliable Scripture is. Uh, also, there's not a single place where one author disagrees with another. Now, people will, will claim that they do. Um, again, I'd love to point you, point you to uh, karm.org. Um, if you encounter a problem someone claims is an issue with uh, where Scripture contradicts itself somewhere, um, I bet it's on that website. So if you go to karm.org, uh, it has a helpful little menu on the side where you can go and search through um, problems with Scripture or common objections to Scripture, that kind of thing. Um, you can find those answers there. But literally, we can't find a place where Scripture disagrees. They may offer complementary uh, accounts of something. Uh, you can go, we, we can talk about all kinds of different things about that. I don't want to waste our time here. Um, the Bible is united in teaching its own authority, um, even though it was written by many other, many separate authors. Uh, they all claim uh, inspiration of, of uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, and then we have archaeological proof um, that has vindicated Scripture over and over again, you know, where they found Jericho and the walls actually fell inward and that sort of thing. Um, Then we can look at Jesus' character, and we talked about the four different ways that you can view Christ. He's either a legend, a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. Um, and if, if he's one of the first three, then we're out of luck. <laughs> As Christians, we don't have anywhere to go. Uh, but if Christ um, is real, as Scripture says he is, if he really was the Messiah, um, then we need to take what he says about Scripture seriously. And he believed that the Old and New Testaments were the Word of God. Um, and he says so. Um, I could give you scriptures for that if you want them. Um, any questions about the reliability of scripture? Any comments, ideas? Um, another really good resource, if you're writing down resources to go and look later, um, Dr. James White um, has done a really, really good presentation. He's a, he's a scholar of ancient manuscripts. Um, it's like... He's like a little kid when it comes to ancient manuscripts. Like he literally jumps up and down when he gets to see a new one, that kind of thing. Um, and he does this thing called the reliability of the New Testament. That you can, it's on YouTube. There's probably 10 or 15 different versions because he's done this presentation uh, many, many times. Uh, you can go find that. He's written articles about it as well. Um, so he, he's, he's where I got a lot of stuff for myself because <laughs> um, he's really good on, on the reliability of Scripture. And he, he debates Mormons. Um, and Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims about Scripture um, and that sort of thing. So he's good. Any questions, ideas, comments, thoughts?
Right. Equip. Equip.org, okay. Cool. Anything else? Yeah, a huge part of what we're doing here is hopefully giving you the ability to go and learn for yourself. Because this, obviously, a six-week course, it's nowhere close to enough um, to just make you great apologists or anything like that. This is just an introduction uh, to help you kind of get terms in your head and, and to know where to go next. Right, and one of, uh, one of my favorite things to think about is if someone says, you know, Jesus never existed, I like to think, for someone who never existed, he sure did change everything. Because, um, I mean, the way we, our date, the year 2015, Anno Domini, A.D., in the year of our Lord, <laughs> we, we, our calendar is based off of him. Um, our holidays are based around him. Uh, so it's like, yeah, if, if he didn't exist, he is probably the most um, effective non-existent being ever. Anything else? All right, really quick then, we'll move on. Um, the resurrection. Did Jesus really come back from the dead? So if we admit that Jesus existed, Scripture's true, uh, did he really rise again? Is that possible. Um, our faith hinges on this. This is um, key to us, because if Jesus is still dead, we have no hope in anything, right? Um, his atoning death paid for our sins. Uh, his resurrection has secured everlasting life for those who believe. We have to cling to this. We have to cling to the truth of resurrection. Um, otherwise, the Christian worldview falls to pieces. Um, in this, in this uh, talk that we had about uh, the resurrection, there were eight points. Uh, first one, Jesus is a big deal. Uh, Jesus was a historical person. Uh, Jesus is and was the point of the history of Israel. Um, Jesus is spoken about by the prophets of Israel. Jesus claims to be divine, uh, and those claims are corroborated by his life, his teaching, and his miracles. Uh, Jesus' death and resurrection can't be explained away. We can try. Well, we 
People can try to explain it away, but they can't. Uh, And Jesus' disciples' lives and the world around him and around everyone changed dramatically after his life and resurrection. Uh, And then Jesus has changed lives throughout history, and he's still changing them. So all of those things, those eight points there, again, if you want to go back and recap that that talk, it's on, uh, on the website. You can go find it. Everyone has to decide what to do with Jesus. Everyone has to decide what to do with the resurrection. Um, and I, I love how C.S. Lewis says this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And again, this goes back to what do you do with Jesus? Um, if he's a resurrected Lord and Savior, then he is. If he's not, um, then you've got to figure out something else uh, to do. Any questions about the resurrection, how to approach this? This is a hard one because um, in order to get to the resurrection, people have to first at least open their minds to the idea that Scripture is true. Um, and that's probably one of the hardest places to get first. And once you get there, uh, you've made great progress, and hopefully the rest of it's going to follow. But uh, have you encountered anyone who has trouble with this? Anything? Right. Yeah, and there are resources um, that uh, have links back to historical um, writings that struggled with this idea. Josephus himself mentions um, that that this man, and I think he calls him Christus, um, was was killed, was crucified, um, and then sometime later, this rumor re-erupted, and everything, and the whole town was stirred up, and people claimed to have seen him, and those sorts of things. So. Um, it's clear that something happened um, that was unexplainable uh, that people tried to explain away. Um, and so if someone's trying to explain it away, trying to explain what happened, obviously something happened. Um, there is also the fact that if you think about it, numerous people claim to have seen him, right? Claim to have seen the resurrected Christ. If people were claiming to see him, and there would be people who were standing next to this guy who said, I didn't see a thing. What are you talking about? We don't have any record of anyone ever disagreeing and saying, no, 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 he didn't rise. I was with that guy when he claimed to have seen him, and it didn't happen. We don't have any record of that. Uh, So it's difficult for us to, I mean, obviously, we don't have a whole, whole lot of, you know, secondhand witness kind of accounts that somebody's like writing in their diary in in 30 AD, But, um, but we do have some record, and we don't have any record of disagreement. That makes sense. I think the other thing is people who are eyewitnesses were still uh, claiming that, that they heard the resurrection cry, and they lost their lives for that belief. And uh, we have a lot of evidence of that. And so if someone died for a lie, they 
Absolutely. And that's one of the things that that Lewis quote was, you know, really getting at because it's that's always been a problem is people who said, sure, sure, he existed because we can't get past that. We have to admit that he existed. It's all of all of history tells us that. Uh, And so we have to do something with the fact that he existed. And the best thing we can do is say, well, he was just a good teacher. He was just a good moral guy. Um, But if you look at what he said, he didn't leave that as an option. He he said he was the Lord. He said he was God. Um, all right, really quickly, let's just jump in um, to this final point. We don't have a whole lot of time left, but that doesn't mean you can't ask questions. If you have some and we don't have time, uh, please talk to me afterwards, whatever. Email me. That's cool. All right, um, how about engaging uh, other people in other world religions? Um, and what about those who have never heard the gospel? Those, that's a big one that you hear. Um, so I'll start with who never heard the gospel. Um, they're the four C's. Um, Creation's witness, we look around us and we see the world, uh, and it, Scripture says that creation sings the Father's song. It, it declares to us that he exists. Um, we have a conscience inside of us. Um, that's the second C. Um, we feel like something's good and bad. Uh, there's the culpability of Adam and Eve in the fall, so they, were, they sinned, they messed up. Sorry, guys. Um, and so because of that, everyone is sinful now. We're a fallen race. And then there's the commission of sin personally. So because of that, we all commit sins regularly um, that need to be atoned for. So for those who haven't heard the gospel, if someone asks you that question, says, what about for those who've never heard the gospel? We can argue it however we want to do it, but the application, I think the best application is anyone who raises that issue has heard the gospel, and so they're accountable to God themselves. So they need to deal with themselves, right? That's the first place to start. And then... We need to go and teach the gospel to the world so that they will have heard it. That's the most important thing. Any questions? No, Jared.